Hey, and welcome to episode 24 of 52 Founders. I'm your host, Chrissy Costa, and this week I'm thrilled to be joined by Vijen Patel, founder and CEO of Pressbox, the on-demand dry cleaning company that works around your schedule. Listen as Vijen and I discuss the benefits of starting a company in Chicago and the other industries that he and I feel are ripe for disruption. Having mainly bootstrapped Pressbox, Vijen has extreme hustle and keen insights into successfully running a company, and I'm so excited for you all to hear his story. Vijan, thanks for joining me on my podcast show today. Really excited to have you. Thanks for having me. Um, so start by telling us a little bit about your background um, and how you came up with the idea for Pressbox and what it is. Yeah, sure. Um, so my background, I'm from Chicago area. I uh, grew up around here, went to school in the Midwest, and then um, did a little bit of finance and then worked at uh, in consulting at McKinsey for a while. Um, worked in New York uh, and then abroad in London and South Africa. Um, and then afterwards was in private equity on the West Coast um, and did a lot of work in consumer and retail and healthcare um, and slowly developed the view that I think retail was dying um, and wanted to look for industries that were ripe for disruption. Uh, and a couple of the, I guess there were three things that we saw that showed us when industries were ripe for disruption. Uh, one was a a lot of fragmentation in terms of tons of stores. Mm-hmm. Um, the second was a lack of technology in that industry. And the third was a lack of brand power. Um, and dry cleaning just kind of hit the nail on all of that. Uh, so looked at different ways about going across and, and trying to find disruptive ways to, just, to, to go after the dry cleaning industry. Um, and found the locker model. Um, and a lot of the dry cleaning models the difficulty is making money off of it because um, it's, it's not a high value like ticket price, but it is highly recurring. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we started Pressbox uh, in March of 2013, and the entire idea was in a sentence to be kind of like Redbox for dry cleaning. So don't pay rent, don't pay labor, put lockers in convenient locations, and have people drop off their items in there uh, whenever they want, and then we can take care of all the logistics on our end. Um, and bring back all the clothes two days later so they can get their dry cleaning back up. It's like an Amazon locker. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, so normally I ask about what the opportunity was, but you know, what other areas were you considering? Or was it so obvious that dry cleaning was the one that you wanted to go after? Yeah, I think, I mean, the one, the one thing for entrepreneurs, I think everyone has a different angle. For me, it's the, the question I love to start at is what do I hate about my life <laughs> and work towards what can solve that. Yeah. Um, and obviously it's not, a, this is not a, it's only a first world problem, but obviously making a drive cleaner before it closes is a bit of an issue. Um, Uber is a great example, right? That solved a problem, hailing taxis. Um, but I always find when you're solving a bit of a need, it's always much easier. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got to, you know, as I think about businesses, I always think about what are different ways to make life easier. Um, and so in retail, there's, there's some of that. Um, and I, and just, there's this macro thing right now where if you go down a main street, I ask myself now all the times, well, 15 years from now, will this need to be here? Right. Is it necessary? It's, it's almost painful to not have something around your hours. Plus, as you look at the cost structure of any business, rent and labor are really two of the three biggest pieces probably. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. So then you were at McKinsey. What was the tipping point to make you quit your, you know, cushy job and yeah. start a risky company? Um, that's a question. I always, I, I've always found some, I, I always found myself to be intrinsically motivated and asked myself the question if, you know, I don't want to ask the question, what if? Uh, I always had, even at, I think I started my first business when I was in high school and it was after the Cubs like almost made it to the World Series and the next year I went and bought like a hundred tickets for the Chicago Cubs and then sold them all before the first game and made like a couple thousand and took care of like my my fun allowance for the year. Um, and so I always, I guess, yeah, I, I had an incredible experience at McKinsey. Um, but for me, I always, I always had this urge and I knew if I had not fulfilled trying something entrepreneurial out of had a regret at 65 or 80 mm-hmm. um so for me it was super important i had to try it and even if i failed it would have been worth it was there a certain point at work where you're just like i have to do it today if i don't do this mm-hmm. someone else will i think it was actually it wasn't mckinsey uh i actually wish i started entrepreneurial route earlier i think one thing that i got trapped into is being a bit of a conservative nature um you know, my family i'm the first one in business in my entire family so just me even working for McKinsey seemed a bit foreign to my family because I wasn't a doctor. Um, <laughs> and so stereotypical. Right? <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and so it was actually uh, my conservative nature that led to private equity. And it was there where I wasn't really happy. Like just didn't, I found it, I found it very ivory tower. Mm-hmm. Um, where there was a lot of smart people sitting around, very smart people and good people sitting around a very mahogany table trying to advise uh, through a PowerPoint presentation what needs to be done with operations. And to me, it just seemed really disingenuous to the business itself. Um, and that was the point where I was like, I, I, this isn't, that's exciting. It was great to see that part of the business world. Um, but for me, I wanted to make sure I saw, uh, you know, instead of a, a number being a cell in a Microsoft model, go down and see what does that $300,000 actually look like? How do you implement it? And how do you mm-hmm. execute that? So. I would say private equity was really a tipping point for me to, to get my hands dirty. So no interest to just join a startup to learn that, or just you just dive in and do it yourself? You got to dive in. I, I It's funny, my first year at Pressbox, I learned more in that first year than my entire career to date. Yeah, I don't doubt that. Right. Um, so this is a really curious question for me. You've lived in New York, South Africa, London, San Francisco. Um, why Chicago? Is it just because you're from here or did you see something about the startup scene that made you really want to start a company in Chicago? Yeah, I think um, it was, a, uh, it was um, obviously the trunk club that I think said this quote originally, but I think it's real. Um, I actually think Chicago is a really interesting environment for startups because I think, again, we're, like, I, I don't think this is necessarily, I don't want to generalize here, but mm-hmm. it's hard to create a, a um Snapchat in Chicago. I don't know if like people that are looking for like ridiculous change just like come here. Um, I think press, yeah, yeah, that, that's a little, I guess, aggressive to say that. But not to say it can't be done, but I do think here a lot of people that work in Chicago are kind of grounded. It's a bit more of a blue collar city. Mm-hmm. And so something like Press Box makes sense where it's, you know, it's something that people are used to and it's almost like a little twist on it. Um, so it's not so aggressive in terms of its development and I think Chicago is a really nice sphere for like for startups that are kind of grounded in blue collar industries um and for like for us for instance it was it's interesting because it, it's 
press box is like a, a really good business, but it's not as if we revolutionized an entire new industry, mm-hmm. right? And I think that was like an interesting thing that we saw in Chicago, um, where I thought the acceptability of it has been really amazing. Um, I think that was something that was unique to Chicago. Yes, definitely. Um, so I don't know with all those words if that, any of that made sense. No, I think that I think that's a really good point. It's not like you're implementing some new technology. It's kind of just utilizing the way to make people's lives easier. And I think Chicago is a great test city for the rest of America, whereas yeah. the coast might be, you know, they're pretty much early adopters anyway, so you might get inflated results. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. So we're going to focus now on your earlier years. And you said that your parents were both doctors? Uh, just my dad. Just your dad. Uh, and you grew up in Chicago. Yeah, that's right. Too many siblings? I am not. I'm only child. Only child. And I hated it. Yes. <laughs> Well, so now you can consider your startup, your family, I know, your right? extended family. That's so, true. Um, so what did you want to be originally when you grew <laughs> up when you were younger? So uh, I actually really wanted to be an actuary. Uh, so I studied that. <laughs> it's like a little, every little so kid wants to do that. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> I know. Um, I loved math. Uh, so math was actually, it's kind of funny. My entire like ethos for why I became an engineer actually stems from math. Um, I was actually overweight as, like, a kid, uh, and math, like, very clear in my head gave me this symbol, like, all right, if you take in less calories uh, and you expend more calories, you'll naturally lose weight, and... How old were you when you were thinking I, that? I was, like, I, it was, like, it was early high school, so probably... It's like, you can't be, like, yeah. eight years old thinking about calories. No, you couldn't, but it was, it was like, early, like, middle school age, um, okay. and so I actually ended up losing, like, 70, 80 pounds, which also drives wow. a lot of my... Uh, like my my drive to fix things right or to take a problem world and actually like make it better um creating change so for me math was super key to who I am um but almost as I kind of grew through McKinsey and even college um you know the feedback's all right you can obviously do analytical stuff but it's so important to develop relationships and have emotional intelligence so it's almost gone full circle now where math is my weakest point Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, I enjoyed the change and improving an emotional intelligence and relationship skills that I had not really focused on growing up. So did you study math in college? Yeah. Did you ever think about not going to college? Oh, no. I always... I see, that's the conservative nature. It's just, I, I would have... Well, that's sector. conservative. That's still pretty normal for society. It's not, exactly. Yeah. But I think, I think, again, to like, if you're going to you know, take the ballsy approach of skipping college, you have to have some balls on you. Yeah, I, I totally agree. But for some people, I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, some of my founders actually have skipped college. But, That's amazing. And then I just interviewed a, a fund, 1517 fund, and they invest in young entrepreneurs, and they used to run the Peter Thiel Fellowship to encourage oh, people wow. to not go to college. That's but amazing. I think it's it's ever different for everyone. I personally felt yeah. like I grew up a lot in college. So those years, yeah. I felt too immature to do anything when I was 18. Yeah. Um, but even I think it'd be cool to even take a gap year. You know, oh, encouraging yeah. more people maybe to start at 19. Yeah. And, and I, maybe you would have gotten more from college. Um, so where did you go to college? Uh, I went to Notre Dame. Notre Dame, um, all right. Yeah, I did. So that's go where Irish. I met Kevin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and that's, a, that's, that's another one where it's really interesting where, um, again, I think my drive to go to private equity was kind of fueled from the conservative nature of Notre Dame mm-hmm. where – you, know, you still have very intelligent people, but there isn't not a, there's not a huge entrepreneurial drive there, and it's starting to come up now, which is great. Yeah. Um, there's a fund called Irish Angels, actually. I know. That's, yeah. Exactly, and they're big now, which is great. Um, so it's it's building, and that's great to see. Um, but it was 
Notre Dame was, to your point about college being formative, for me it was very formative because uh, not just did I grow intellectually, but socially, you know, it, it was fun. Even though I'm not necessarily a spiritual being, being around a lot of people who are spiritual makes you a better person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel, you know, hats off to all of Notre Dame for making me a better person. Um, and then more of that is actually very tactically. When we started Pressbox, we we got so much help from from people from Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's when I can I can count down to ten people who almost created Pressbox because of just how much they supported, and then that person supported us, and then that person supported us, and that network grew. Yeah. And Notre Dame was so key to that like nucleus of creating that like those first relationships. Yeah, that's really interesting. And so. Did you ever think to take any entrepreneurship classes when you were there? I was all about being an actor, right? <laughs> yes. um, well, but you weren't because you said when you were younger, you, you know, did that to make money. Did you do a lot of that, like scheming to make some side pocket money? Some side pocket money. Um, I just, you know, I don't know. I just, I loved math, but it was actually in that realization sophomore year of college where I realized, you know, I love math, but I also don't want to sit in a cubicle all day. And mm-hmm. I do want to, you know, spend time developing relationships, which again, was a really good thing about Notre Dame. Um, so I, w- I, I wish I took probably some more entrepreneurial uh, classes. Kevin and I started this like entrepreneurial club there, Yeah. Um, which was really fun. Um, and I wanted to start my, another business where we, during the cold months of Notre Dame, uh, have coffee at the parking lots and just sell them for like five bucks because it's negative 30 degrees outside. <laughs> Um, when your coffee freeze? Unfortunately, no one would want to man the shop with me. So <laughs> that, that business idea quickly fell. I wonder how the temperature of the coffee would stand exactly. up after a while. Yeah. So what did you do outside of school for fun when you were younger? I loved running. That was part of, obviously... How did you? How then were you overweight? If you loved running? No, I, I used run <laughs> running. I was overweight, and then I used running to okay uh, mathematically increase my expenditure of calories. Right, um, so I, I probably started around like fourteen, fifteen. Really picked up running. Were you doing track? No, you I was fat still. So like I like by the time I was like back to like normal weight, it was like sophomore, junior year of college. Okay, oh, sorry, of high school, um, but uh, uh, no, I didn't I just just loved running outside. Yeah. Straight running outside. I do too. I, so Kevin actually is the only entrepreneur I've really talked with about this, but I think running to me, it's such a solo activity. People say, can I run with you? I'm like, no, it's my yeah. time. Completely I think agreed. the best, but I, I also think it's just pers- um, like perseverance. You just really need to do that. Do you yeah. do any races or anything or you just run for fun? So my big thing was uh, with all my friends, my a lot of my still like close friends are from McKinsey and uh, especially from the London office and we all did a half Ironman together. Oh wow! Um, I thought you were just saying half yeah. Ironman. <laughs> no, so we did a half Ironman together, which was amazing. Um, I was a little bit worried it was a joke because I was the only one that flew in from the U.S. So uh, I'm happy we all did it together. You're like, oh, you guys weren't training. This yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, so we did that, and I've run a couple of marathons. Uh, I did the Chicago one a couple of years ago. Um, I completely agree with you. My best ideas have come from running uh, and, the sh- and being in the shower. Those being two. The, you know, like, I've heard the shower thing now from about four or five entrepreneurs. Yeah. It's so bizarre. I wonder if those are the only times that we really give ourselves to think. Exactly. About working out and being in the shower. I'm, I'm, I'm super against because my third one used to be on the airplane. Yeah. Uh, but now with Wi-Fi, I can't stand it because I mean, it used to be my connect. solace. You could not connect. I know, which it's it's. I do put my phone on airplane mode every time I go for a run. That's good. Um, oh, that's smart. I didn't yeah, that. it's uh, 
And then I, I now leave my phone always on do not disturb mode. It's my other life hack so that when I check it, I don't feel the vibration. I just check it when I check it. That's brilliant. It's my, yes, it's my brilliant ideas. Um, yeah, it's our business. So let's talk about culture. You know, you yeah. went from McKinsey, Goldman, you know, to creating a startup. How would you know about creating a startup culture? Uh, nothing. <laughs> I, I think, I mean, to your point, when I like taking entrepreneurship classes, I'd be curious to hear what, you know, if your experience on, on those classes made you potentially a better entrepreneur because what I remember, I remember exactly, I was thinking about business school and I remember applying to HBS and GSB and in the middle of the application process, I didn't realize how badly I wanted to be an entrepreneur mm-hmm. when I, until I started writing those essays. Yeah, they're really introspective. They really are. And it hit me in the moment, I was like, why am I keep talking about this? Like, just go do it and learn it. And Well, that's not conservative. That's pretty that awesome. That was my flipping point. Yeah. Right? It takes that, like, it takes a little bit of pain to get to that, like, to that upward trend. I would say the classes are really good about solving problems, creating a business. Um, nothing beats working at startups to learn about culture. And I do think people underestimate how important culture is because yeah. then you get employee retention. You get to attract top talent. And I think that's a very significant part of how your company succeeds if you yeah. can retain top talent. Um, and I'm not a big believer in the Silicon Valley approach of like ping pong tables or, you know, free lunches, I think values. Um, and I firmly believe in top down and you see it a lot in popular culture. Maybe a startup you mentioned before is having some struggles. Yeah. But you know, it does, it starts from the top down. Um, and that right. is something to me that I've just learned by working at multiple startups. And yeah. each time I think about what I really love about it and what I would want to do differently. Yeah. And I think to your point about what did I learn from my experiences that shaped our culture, um, I'd say two things. One, meritocracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, it, from, who, from one of our drivers through to like director of marketing through to me, like any idea has its own merit and should not be judged off of anything, like any sort of role or, or whoever they may be in the organization. Um, so I give a lot of power to all of our team. Um, I'm almost, the way I view it is come to me for help, otherwise I'm not going to seek up, right? If we're all pushing up, then that's just gonna create a better business and we're all gonna push ourselves to be better versions of ourselves and a better version of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other things, I, I completely agree, I, I wouldn't say ping pong table necessarily, but like last night, we had our cheapest marketing event and it was probably the most fun where we had like I don't know what took us so long to get this we just got six pizzas in our offices and like <laughs> like three cases of beer and instead of like going to a bar or doing like a Cubs game or like yeah. whatever it might be we all just hung out and got to like just spend time with each other and yeah. uh, it was just I don't know I think the relationships we created with that have been really good yeah um, I agree so I, I was a yeah, keg is better than, you know, a ping pong yeah. table. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it's funny. I feel like at your market, we were saying marketing events. I was thinking pizza. Maybe you should, you should only serve red wine and pizza. Things that make stains on people's clothes for marketing events. Oh, for sure. And then I'd be like, you should use press box now that you've spilled red wine all over yourself. That's exactly right. <laughs> um, so what do you think the best piece of advice you've received is from starting a company? There's a book. I don't know why I'm going mind. Like, it's about a shepherd. And he goes to find treasure. And um, the entire story is about him finding this treasure across the world. And finally, by the end, he opens the treasure, and it's, he realizes that the actual treasure was his entire journey itself. Um, it's very heartwarming. Yeah. An entire book, they talk about spirals and how there's upward spirals and downward spirals. And when you really believe in something, 
the world shapes itself to support you. And I've seen that live out a couple of times and how I mentioned earlier about like 10 people who I can like point to like and track our success, like to those 10 people, those people believed in us and it was almost infectious, contagious, mm-hmm. um, that when, when you see excitement in someone else, you want to support them. Definitely. You want to see that. Yeah. And I would say like cut through the bullshit and like find out what you're passionate about because in this world that's like super complex, if you're not pursuing what you're like actually excited by, like you're just going to get muddled out and there's enough chaos out there and you're not going to be able to differentiate yourself. However, when you are able to like really find out who you are and, and you'll obviously put in the most effort you can potentially to explore that because it's what your intrinsic motivation is, the world will notice that and they'll support you and, and they'll, and en- they'll enlist in you. Right. And they'll, they'll, push you and support you to whatever your goals are mm-hmm. um and for us i would just say that 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 was the difference between success and failure um and so if you're an entrepreneur don't try to do something because you think it's cool or sexy but just do it because you your heart and your mind and your guts fully believes in it it's really interesting i love that i also um would be remiss to ask you about why you chose to bootstrap and you know not go for vc funding is it because you felt like you had a lot of network already yeah um it's a good question i think so we're we're coming a little bit from private equity angle um i'd say there's two main reasons one was you know very tactically what i saw from the vc angle i think an entrepreneur right if you've put in a hundred thousand your own capital and you're willing to see uh and you know you get a 20 times return on that right you sell your business two million that's a really good personal return, right? I think most people would look to multiply their money in the stock market by 20 times within five years. That would be an amazing outcome. Um, what we've seen, and obviously VC's outcomes are gonna be heavily outweighed to a higher, higher distribution level, um, right, and more scattered bets. So I think at times what I saw with the VC angle was that their goals may not be obviously aligned with the entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. um, and they're willing to. They'd rather see a business go from two thousand times to zero times. And I don't know for our business, right? As as Pressbox was it? I don't think it's the right fit because I don't think, I think our distribution curve of outcomes is going to be way more targeted to to twenty to forty times, um, and us being able to scale a very labor intensive business to two thousand times is going to be much more difficult. Mm-hmm. So nothing against VC, but I think for the model in which I understand VCs. I mean, I think a twenty x return for a VC is pretty great. That's great. In that case, then like right, like I'd meet those VCs. Uh, but the thing is, the capital you're putting yeah. in is not a hundred thousand dollars. Exactly, and I guess the other thing I'd say is I. The reason I also am happy we bootstrapped it is, a lot of people want to spend your money, uh, vendors, suppliers, whoever it might be, and for you to think about whether you spend your own money. $5,000 on a marketing campaign or a Facebook ad campaign mm-hmm. or a CTA bus thing is very differently than using someone else's money. I agree, yeah. And so for us, it was so powerful to just realize that this is our cash and we have to think about this very carefully um, and how we're going to, you know, how we're going to, uh, how we're going to use this most effectively. And, and for us, it was spent on people and that was the best way we grew, right? And so for us, I think for, for bootstrapping, it made me learn a lot. Um, and just made me really think about how you spend each dollar, which which was helpful in our outcome and getting to cash flow positivity really early. That's awesome. I really respect that. 
I mean, the VC side, you know, we'll see. Maybe we agree to disagree. Yeah, I, mean, I think exactly. you could find some with uh, incentives aligned, but maybe I'm too green still. I think it is, and, it, and <laughs> I think I guess the way I'd say it is, if you believe, if 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 you believe in yourself, give it a shot. If you can bootstrap it, yeah. right? And then because that any financing outside yourself is always gonna be more expensive. Yeah, I'd say go to yourself and go to your parents, and then yeah, go to, then go to you know some. Sort I, of I think if you have the means to do that, that's great. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so we're going to switch to my fun question segment. Cool. Um, what is another Chicago startup that you really love? Oh, great question. I like Spot Hero. Okay, yeah. I think similarly, it's like find ample... I mean, they. I, I like how they found supply in parking spots and just found a way to monetize that, mm-hmm. right? Because any parking space filled at any rate is better than no parking spot. Filled. Yes, I agree. Um, it's very big in Chicago, the parking uh, startups here. It's crazy. And yeah. it's great to see, and we're, we went to, so we're expanding to a couple of new cities, and it's cool to see Spot here and other Chicago startups get to these other cities. Yeah. So, it's, it's it, I don't know what it is about Chicago startups, but it's like we're really good with, like, land-based and, like, bricks and mortar and, like, physical asset There's startups. a lot of CPG in yeah. the Midwest. That's right. Um, more so than I've, I've any other city I've been in, so maybe that's one of the roots. Uh, all right, so what other areas of tech do you see really taking off in 2017? What other industries do you think will get disrupted next? Yeah. So I, I love your, our earlier conversation um, about healthcare. Yeah. I think that's something. I, I mean, ultimately for me with my life story about losing all that weight, I see myself back in healthcare. So let's talk. But Yeah, definitely. I, uh, I, I, I think that arena is just, it's amazing. It's, I understand why it is the way it is, right? Because you can't break a system that obviously is somewhat broken, but... Uh, that everyone's so reliant on, but just the area for innovation. Obviously, uh, the big trick in it is that the what money should have shown is that the less expensive healthcare treatment is, it's probably more effective as well. Yeah. To have a, like, a positive relationship, which is amazing. So it just shows if you can run a more efficient business, there's better outcomes to be had and Definitely. and and a good area for innovation. I think for healthcare too, it's that. It doesn't have to necessarily be disrupt the whole industry. There's so much incremental innovation you can do. There's so much in preventative healthcare you can do that I think yeah. we miss out on. And finally, my always, I always end with this. If you could interview one founder, who would you most want to interview and why? And Peter Thiel's pretty sweet. Really? Okay. Yeah, I know. It's not like, I just, I, I love that. I also love everyone around the PayPal team. I think it's cool. Um, but I wonder what percentage people say Elon Musk. Um, I was just reading about him on uh, Wait But Why, actually, yeah. all those. I love it. I think he's going to save the world, if there is someone to save the world. Um, and yet you went with Peter Thiel. <laughs> no, I know. Uh, so why Peter Thiel? Actually, Diel? you know what? I actually, so mine's a little different. I think entrepreneurs don't necessarily need to be confined to business. Okay, yeah, definitely. So, like, for instance, the person I have dinner with, who I think, like, Martin Luther King, to me, I think was so entrepreneurial because... Right, like the classic quote, to be great, to be misunderstood, is really applicable to real leaders in the world as well as entrepreneurs. Um, but you're breaking some mold, right? And for uh, someone like Martin King, who was able to appeal, this is getting way off topic, but he appealed to emotions, rationality, and relationships mm-hmm. to his entire audience uh, to catalyze so much change. Like, I, I just can't think of anything more entrepreneurial than that. Yeah, no, that's a great answer. So, well, thank you for being on my show. It was awesome having you. Yeah. 
and uh, I'll make you tell me that book recommendation one day. Oh my God, I just <laughs> can't wait. All right, and that's a wrap on episode 24 of 52 Founders. Be sure to check out 52founders.com and stay up to date with us on Twitter at 52founders. I'm your host, Chrissy Costa, and I'll see you next week for episode 25.